Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. We're going to work on the fact that we're ready and armed for battle. I mean, we've got spiritual battles and conflicts that are taking place often. And God wants us to understand how he has opened up our eyes to be able to deal with a defeated foe. That's what's important, to to know how to overcome a defeated foe. It's one thing to fight an enemy and you, in your mind, believe he's going to win, but it's another thing to take on someone who's already lost. And I I believe that's a, a beautiful thing to see in Scripture. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Ephesians 6 verses 10 Through 12. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to be able to look into this living word. We pray that you open the eyes of our understanding, help us to see things that maybe we've never contemplated before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We know that whenever the end of October comes along, that there's a lot of excitement about all the Halloween celebrations and things like that. But what we also need to know is that that's no celebration for us that love God. For people that are involved with witchcraft, October 31st is kind of the sacred day, most holy day for them, if you can even use the word holy with it. The people that are involved with Wicca believe that on Halloween night, that's somewhere between that fall season and that winter solstice, they think during that evening that there's a portal that's open so that the people on the other side that are dead can communicate with people here on planet Earth that are alive, which is why there is so much crystal ball gazing and so much tarot card reading and everything like that. You can find all kinds of facilities like that in big cities, but you know as well as I do, a familiar spirit is behind all of that. Anton LaVey, who was the founder of the Church of Satan, certainly uh, made the statement years ago that he is excited every October 31st to see everybody dressed up like uh, in different costumes because in his mind, Everybody is acknowledging the adversary. The original intent of Halloween and costume designs and wearing was that the people believed by wearing certain costumes, you'd ward off the evil spirits that would come to afflict people. So if you were costumed, you'd be free. Well, as of now... The commercialization and everything has made it such that people don't even think about the demonic that's associated with it. And for us as Christians, October 31st is not about Halloween. It's Reformation Day. That was the day Martin Luther went and nailed his 95 theses on the door and said there's going to be some changes and we need to make those changes right now. So that's what all that represents for us. But I do want you now to go to Isaiah chapter 8 because I, I want you to see that Uh, Being involved with things connected with evil has been around for a long time, and the Israelites had to deal with it. I want to read a passage to you that some 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah chapter 8, notice what it says in verse 18. Behold, I am the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. Now, quickly To just mention something, Isaiah was married to a prophetess. And we know from chapter 7, verse 3, and chapter 8, verse 3, that the names of his two boys were connected with 
a prophecy or a statement that God had made. And the prophecy essentially said this, a remnant of the people shall return. And then another child was named in such a way that it says that the, the spoil of a nation is going to take place quickly. So this is why in verse 18, he says, my children are signs and wonders. They are indicators of the mind of God. They are representing the will of God. And you understand that every time you mention their names. So in verse 19, he says, and when they say unto you, talking about the Assyrian nation and people, when they say to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, shouldn't the people seek unto their God? the living, to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. So you can see from verse 19, they had witchcraft in Israel way back then. And, and God was clear with them then. They were not supposed to go and visit these kinds of folks. Now Saul did it, and he ended up in trouble because he went to visit a witch. And, and here it talks about the ones that peep and mutter. So even in that language, you can see these individuals like mediums gave themselves over to familiar spirits and allowed their voices to communicate or echo whatever that spirit was saying. We have millions of people that will call the psychic hotline or go and sit and try to talk to a spouse that died, a child that died, a friend that died, and that person will sit there, go through all of their little rituals. Then before you know it, a voice emerges out of their body, and then people tend to believe that that was God or that was some kind of spiritual phenomenon. I want you to know quite clearly that verse 20 of Isaiah 8 and 20 says it is to the word of God and the testimony of God that we should look. And anybody who is encouraging people to go after witchcraft, Isaiah said there's no light in them. So it's entirely dark. It doesn't matter how popular the actor, the singer, the politician is that tries to popularize these kinds of activities. The scripture says there's no light in them. And since there's no light, quite naturally, they push a person towards the darkness. And with no darkness, there's no discernment. Because remember, in the darkness, all the colors agree in the dark. Doesn't matter if it's orange or green. Turn the lights out. They all look the same. But once you turn the light on, that's when discernment is possible. And that's when you can see the shades of all the different colors. If there's light inside of a person, they can recognize what's God, what's the devil. Now, coming back over here now to Ephesians 6, as we're thinking on this theme, ready and armed for battle, we want you to see in verse 10 that you are told that your strength and your power is in God. So you can't do this on your own. You don't have enough willpower to be able to do this on your own. But in writing to the saints at Ephesus here, he calls them brethren. He's letting them know it is your responsibility. It is within your ability to be strong, but in God. So we could say to the saints that are in their county or to the saints in any county. We are to, to be strong. Now, how do I do that? Well, if, if my strength is in God, and Paul has prayed earlier in chapter 3 and in other locations that he wants us to be strengthened in our inner man, then we know that it is not in and of ourselves that we're able to operate or rest in the power of God. It's simply by trusting the king. The uh, story many, many years ago, I heard about a gentleman who was window washing at a big skyscraping building. I don't know if it was New York, Chicago, wherever it was. He was 30 or 40 stories up. But you know, they got those big contraptions that kind of go up and down the windows and you got all this cleaning stuff. He's doing all of that. And he's got a harness on to protect him. But whatever happened on that particular day, that that contraption proved faulty and look like he's going to fall and he's dangling from a rope from the side of that thing that's been built. And, and naturally, the people inside the building, they see him out there hanging from the rope, got, got his, his harness or whatever. And then people down here, they're looking up and they hear him yelling and screaming and he's holding on for dear life. 
Well, they're calling 911, trying to get the fire department and everybody there. This whole thing took an hour. And, and they, they wanted to know later how in the world he could ever use his own strength to hold on to that rope all of that time. And he just kind of made it very plain to them that rope was a lot longer than his body. And so with his right arm, he clenched it and brought it close to his body and held it tightly. And of course, adrenaline and everything's pumping. But he took the rest of the rope and wrapped it around his body. And then he said he used his feet to try to pull that rope up somewhat between his legs and toss it around him. And with his left hand, make as, as big a knot as he could so that in the end, it wasn't him holding on to the rope, but the rope became a carriage and was holding him. Well, I mean, you, you have to be a, a pretty smart man to think about all of that in the middle of being nervous, hanging that high above above ground, you see. But but here's my point. His strength alone could have never helped him survive. And ours won't help us either in the middle of spiritual battles. We, we don't have the capability in and of ourselves. The Bible says in First John, we overcome the world by our what? Faith. See, see, our trust in God is is what we're going to use against the adversary. So verse verse number verse number uh, eleven is is pretty clear here. It says, "Put on the whole armor of God." Now there are three things about this armor I want you to know. First of all, it's made by God. So since He made it, then we know this this isn't something that's been made in the blacksmith shop. And, and, and everything God makes, he makes with purpose and intent. So God has never designed any tool or weapon for you and for me to use in warfare that's designed to fail. Nothing. He, he's never come up with anything he wanted you to use to resist the devil that's designed to fail. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. The scripture says the adversary, he walks back and forth like a roaring lion looking for whoever he may devour. So it's our responsibility to use the tools at our disposal. And God has given us armor. Well, the second thing we, we, we need to know about this armor is that that this armor is durable. OK, it's, it's going to last. And, and and for thousands and thousands of years, this has been going on. People have been fighting the devil, resisting the devil, battling the devil, in conflict with the devil. And this armor still works. And the third thing is God has armor that is specifically suited and fitted for you and me. You know, my wife was reminding me the other day, people get them T-shirts says one size fits all till you wash it in the machine. Then you, you can't you can't even get in that thing anymore when it when it shrinks up. But but with God, he's got armor for you and for me. And when we put on our helmet, our breastplate, when we grab our shield and our sword and when we put our belt on and our sandals, we're ready to battle. And it fits exactly like it's supposed to. That's how God designed this. Now, there, there are several scriptures where. We are told about armor, and one of them is Romans 13, verse 12. And I just quickly want to mention this because it speaks about the armor of light. And it says in Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent. That means the night is almost over. It's almost past. The day is at hand. Sunrise is coming. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So God's armor radiates. God's armor illuminates in the midst of a dark world. And he wants us to get rid of anything in our life that is connected with darkness. You say, why? Because all of that overshadows the armor. But the more in your life that you cast off so that God's armor can radiate, the, the more visible that light is to other people. Have you ever met a Christian that say they've been a Christian a long time? But you, if, if you hadn't, have, hadn't have heard somebody tell you that they were a Christian, you'd never know. That's what I'm talking about. Works of darkness cover up that light. But as a warrior, as a soldier, as a person in the midst of battle and conflict, 
As somebody as somebody that's been called by God to live on this planet, God has given you an armor that's supposed to radiate. And it doesn't matter where you go on this planet, how dark the territory, your armor should be bright and people should know that God is on your side. They should know that God is on your side. So you should never be afraid. And then Paul speaks about an armor of righteousness in Second uh, Corinthians six and seven, which is important because we uh, we are people who are trying to live the right way. And living the wrong way certainly will keep God's armor from being as effective as it needs to be. I have found that as a Christian, it's very difficult to be effective when you're consumed with guilt and shame. So if the Holy Ghost is constantly convicting you of this, convicting you of that, if the devil is constantly fighting you about this or that, you have a hard time being strong and bold and courageous because you're always wondering whether or not it's actually going to work or whether or not God's going to hear my prayer. But the scripture says we boldly come to the throne of grace to find grace and help, grace and mercy in a time of need. You can come to God boldly if you feel good about who you are in God and in your relationship with God. But if you feel like you've been disobedient, you haven't done what you're supposed to do, then you do not want to boldly go into the presence of God. So the armor of righteousness is all about us standing in the righteousness and the security of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Because if I could only approach God on the basis of how good I am, I'd never get there. And if you could only come to God on the basis of your good deeds and your obedience, you're in trouble. Jesus went to the cross, died the death we should have died because he lived the life we could not live. He he, he crossed every T. He dotted every I. He came up out of the grave so that each of us could be justified by the grace we didn't have or possess on our own. So this is where it talks about the armor of righteousness. And then over in uh, 1 Samuel 17, we have that lovely story about David going up against Goliath. And I'll just make a few statements in in regard to that. David's brothers were down on the mountaintops ready to fight a fight. And according to the scripture, there was this big, huge man. I mean, he was tall. He could have been every bit of nine feet tall. And his name was, we'll just call him, we'll just call him John Ireland. And so for 40 days, this big man with all of this weaponry, he would come and stand in the valley. The children of Israel were up on this side of the mountain. The Philistines were down here on this side. And John would come and stand in the valley and say, I wish you Israelites would give me a man to fight with anybody. Get off, get out of those chariots and come fight with me. Nobody wanted to come. They said this man was so big and so strong. He had a man that had to carry his shield for him. That's how big he was. That's how strong he was. Well, David's dad had told him, go see your brothers, take some food to them. So just like a, a young man who's inquisitive and curious, he can't wait. So he, he's up there. He's kind of pulling his little cart and he's looking at all these folks trying to see what's going on around here. As he's bringing that bread, looking for his brothers. And he hears that man down in the valley screaming and blaspheming God and calling them Israelites, all kinds of names. And David is wondering how come every Israelite is running down that hill to kill this man. And he says, I don't understand why you guys are letting this man disrespect our God and us like this. They said, don't you know that how big he is? Well, uh, <clears throat> he start telling folks, if you guys won't fight, I'll go. And I mean, you know, David wasn't a big man. He's a little bitty fellow, just tiny guy. We'll say he's like Julian. Just just little guy, just little guy. And so word got around that that he wanted to go fight. So he went to Saul because Saul said, OK, if you're willing to fight, I'll let you go. But you got to understand that man has been fighting since he was a kid and you're only a little guy. And, and David had to give Saul his resume. He said, I've rescued a whole lot of sheep 
and I beat some bears and some lions, and, and I can handle that uncircumcised Philistine. So Saul said, okay, well, go into my tent, put my armor on. So that's what David did. He went and put on all that stuff, and he's trying to swing that sword and move around and all that stuff. And, I mean, it's heavy. He, you know, he can't wield the sword. and His agility and stuff, everything's affected. So he takes it all off. He comes out and says, King, I appreciate you being gracious to me, but I've never fought a battle with those. So he goes down there to the muddy river and finds some rocks, puts them in his pouch. And then here it is. Julian starts making his way down the hill to where John Ireland is. And I mean, as as John sees Julian coming, he says, you mean to tell me that's all you folks got? That little pipsqueak is making his way down here to where I am. Give me a man that I can paddle with. I'll give his flesh to the fowls of the air. Julian's just trotting when he starts that talk. He grabs that that sling and just like one of them Palestinian kids in the Middle East, he threw that thing, hit Goliath right in the head. He fell down. David took the sword, cut his head off, carried the head back up to Saul's chariot, told him, I told you I could beat this guy. And then David went down to where Goliath was, took Goliath's armor and brought it to his tent. Now, here's the thing. David knew he couldn't use Saul's armor. He understood that. But having defeated Goliath, why do you need Goliath's armor? You need a souvenir or something? I will tell you this. You're never going to defeat Goliath with Saul's armor. Ever. You're only going to defeat the giant if you go in the name of your God and your God helps you. And this is why Paul said to the Ephesian people, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There are battles you're going to face that you have faced or you're facing right now that in and of yourself you could never win. But with God on your side, you can't lose. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. If God is for you, who can be against you? Thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in all things, the Bible says. See, so stand on the word. Okay, we come we come back to Ephesians then and considering that armor that the Lord has designed for you. He tells you to put on all of it. Don't leave any of it out. Sometimes we we think that. Everything God is asking us to do is a bit too much, but everything he's asking you to do and to put on is important for your battle. And he tells you in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand because without it all, you won't be able to stand. You don't have to backslide. Just put on the whole armor. But if you don't have on the helmet of salvation, you probably will backslide because you won't bring every thought captive. The helmet of salvation is not just talking about being saved from sin. That's, talk, that's talking about rescue, redemption, recovery. When the Bible says pick up that shield of faith, you've got to have your faith because whatever kind of battle you're fighting, somehow or another, you've got to keep believing that you're going to win this thing because you've already won in Christ. The devil just doesn't want you to know that he knows he's defeated. So he just tries to keep, keep battling. Well, He says he wants you to be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits and the tricks of the devil. So what are some of his tricks? Well, I think one of his tricks is to convince people he doesn't exist. Yeah, you can't fight a battle against somebody you don't believe is an opponent that actually exists. And a lot of people in this world say there is no God. So there's no God. There's no devil. Quite naturally, if there's no devil. There really is not such a thing as evil. They just kind of come along and say, well, you know, you shouldn't do that or you should do that. And, and, and if you ask them, how, well, how do you determine what's right and what's wrong? They just say, well, whatever the masses of people say is OK. And they don't like adjectives like evil. And the devil is smart. If he gets people to thinking that he does not exist at all, then then, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll he'll mislead a whole lot of people. But then secondly, one of his uh, deceits, it follows right along with that is he'll he'll tell people, okay, if if the devil is real, he's not as he's not as bad as he is portrayed in the Bible. You know, so that's why we know 
that some of the, the holidays or things that people do that have to do with wickedness, people say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. It's all about candy. Look, commercialization, you know, not that bad at all. And the devil wants people to, to see that. So the little kids, they see the little movies they make about um, a young man 20 years ago who was a witch or a warlock and wanted to go to school and be a warlock. And I forget the name of the, the, the thing, but it was like a, a number one movie with a whole lot of kids. And then I think there was a part two, a part three and, and all that kind of a thing. And, and people forget very often that you can take something that is bad, but if you make it a lot more attractive and entertaining, it doesn't seem that bad after all. As a little kid, oh my goodness, I'm telling you, I love that little lady on Bewitched. I'm telling you, she could, she could twinkle that nose. Oh my, people would levitate. I dream of Jeannie. Woo-wee! Loved I dream of Jeannie. Barbara Eden loved her. Thought it was wonderful the way she looked after her military man. I didn't know anything about any witchcraft. I didn't know anything about any black magic. It was just all entertainment. See, all entertainment. But the devil, he wants people to think he's not as bad as he seems to be. But he's really bad. He, 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 really, he really is bad. The, the Bible tells us about a, a great revival that, that took place in Acts chapter 19. It says that Paul went into Ephesus. He found 12 people laid hands on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking with other tongues. Then it tells us he stayed there long enough that the word of God mightily prevailed. And then in chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, it even tells us about the mighty miracles taking place. Demon spirits coming out of people. That means they can be in people. These were coming out of people. And then it talks about a few boys who decided, well, if Paul can cast out these devils, so can we. So they tried it and they decided, OK, we know this one gentleman. He's full of the devil. We'll go over there and we'll work our magic and do our thing. So they went in there and they tried. They tried to cast that devil out of that man. That man said, you said, uh, we know Jesus and we know Paul. But who are you? And, and and pretty soon that one man jumped on seven brothers and beat them up so bad. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that they fled from the house without their clothing. Now that's a pretty bad beating if somebody beats you out of your clothes. And that's exactly what happened. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. And the scripture says that fear fell on the people. The word of God grew mightily because of that. And revival Ended up breaking out to the point that it says people who had books in which they used to practice curious arts. That's a word for witchcraft, like magic. Said they brought them together in a huge bonfire, set them ablaze. So even in ancient times, people knew this stuff was real and nothing has changed today. So. The wiles of the devil. Satan doesn't want no one people to know he exists. Secondly, he doesn't want people to think if he does exist that he's as bad as the Bible says he is or as defeated as the Bible says he is. And then the third thing I tell you is very simply is he'll tell people, OK, I do exist, but you as a Christian don't have power to cast me out. You're too weak. You can't handle me. Now, I would say that's probably the greater body of Christ. Because people will not preach the entirety of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 15, I have fully preached the gospel. But you can preach the gospel without preaching it all. Yeah. You say, how? Well, you can just tell people the gospel is just Jesus saves you from your sin. Well, he does, but that's not the whole gospel. The same chapter that says that in Isaiah 53 also says that he also will heal us. And, and the same Savior also said, in my name, you'll cast out devils. And in Jesus' time, he, he seemed to me like you read the Gospel of Mark, it just seems like he's dealing with the devil in every chapter. I mean, right off the bat in chapter one, he's dealing with somebody in the synagogue. And you keep running into it, and you keep running into it, and you keep running into it. Well, if 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 we're having to fight that kind of evil in the Bible, 
and spirits don't die with the placing of a corpse in the ground, then we have to assume those same spirits from 2000 years ago are still on planet Earth right now. Looking for habitation. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Well, the same Holy Ghost that was in them is in us. He's still here. So why would you think that the devil isn't around? And that demon spirits and unclean spirits and deaf spirits and dumb spirits aren't around. They are around. That's why Jesus said, in my name, you'll cast out devils. That's why he said that. So this is a, an important issue because the devil wants to deceive us and, 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 and leave all kinds of uh, deception, and misunderstanding, misrepresentation. <clears throat> I've told you in times past about that, that book that was really popular years ago, maybe in the 70s. I think it was called The Many Faces of Eve. And um, Eve was a lady who had gone to these psychologists. And these psychologists had, in, in their examination of her, had come in contact with all these different voices and personalities. And they couldn't understand how these personalities were so different. I can't remember what, what all of them, them were, but just for instance, one was a businessman and a woman. Another would have been a prostitute and a woman. And all of these voices, when, they, when these personalities would manifest and animate through her, they would conduct themselves just like that particular thing. Because an evil spirit, it uses the human body in order to manifest those particular characteristics for which it's known. So in the scripture, when it talks about a deaf spirit, people typically couldn't hear. An unclean spirit, people were doing stuff that had to do with unclean things. Well, uh, I, I often tell the story of this man named Cornelius from Brazil because it was just such a powerful story. This gentleman, when he was in his mother's womb, his mother was involved with witchcraft and they dedicated him to the devil. They killed a chicken took the hot chicken's blood, made the sign of the cross on mama's womb, dedicated the child to the devil. Yep. And, and this little kid grew up full of evil, absolutely full of evil. They said before he could ever speak Portuguese, he already could talk Latin. And he traveled with the local doctors and helped prescribe medicine for the people that were sick in those villages. He went to college, ended up with a government job, Still a worshiper of the devil, said his life was so possessed by evil, his own testimony I'm giving you now. He, he, he said he'd wake up two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning and those demons would drive him to just run stark naked through the main city until sunrise. And that's what he did. Said that he he would take glass, crush it into small pieces, imbibe it, swallow it. Said wife would be in bed with him in the middle of the night. And without him even touching his wife, she'd be shoved right out of the bed onto the floor. Well, she nearly had a nervous breakdown and left him. And can you believe this man was actually working in a government agency? Yeah. You don't know what kind of people work in the government. You don't know what people do behind closed doors. You have no idea what's going on behind the doors of the homes we drove past tonight. But there was a Methodist preacher who believed in the blood of Jesus, found out about this man and went and cast those spirits out of that man. He was delivered. He ended up coming here to the States and traveled with Oral Roberts and Lester Sumrall and told his testimony over and over and over again. Well, there's, there's evil in this world. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt, no doubt about it. And, and when that comes into manifestation, you, you have to know God's given us power to deal with it. When I was down at an Assemblies of God church in, in Lima, Peru, and I was visiting, I was coming out of the mountains and come, getting ready to come back to the States, and I was in that service. Everything was in Spanish, but since it's written with those letters, you know, them English letters, I could read it. I didn't know what in the world I was singing, but I knew I knew how to sing those words like everybody else. And it had to be, a, it had to be thousands of people in that place. And then there's me standing here, preacher up there. There's somebody here. And then on the other side, there's a lady. And in the middle of that praise and worship service, it, it kind of got quiet. 
And I had my eyes closed, just worshiping and praising God. And I heard what I thought was an utterance in tongues. First Corinthians 12, first Corinthians 14. So I'm waiting for the, the interpretation to the utterance. First Corinthians 14. I got my eyes closed, just waiting as we normally hear it in services in America. And there was no interpretation. But when I opened up my eyes and look, there's that preacher. He's leaning over that pulpit. He's looking at me. And everybody else sitting there for the most part looking at me. And he he asked me who I was. I said, I'm Daryl Sutton. Of course, he said in Spanish, but I responded in English. Yeah, but I knew what he was saying. I said, I'm Daryl Sutton. I'm a missionary from the Middle East. I was just up in the mountains and head back to the States. And he he kind of cut me off and just said, well, that's not what that woman said next to you. So I don't understand what you're saying. He said, that woman over there says she didn't like your spirit. That's what she says. Oh, really? I turned, looked at her. When I looked at her, her face changed. She screamed, ha, just like that, and ran at me trying to attack me. Remember, there's only just a little space in between it. So she's trying to get at me. People trying to hold her back. And, and so now it's a ruckus. Sunday morning service and she's trying to get at me and I'm pointing at her and I'm saying in the name of Jesus come out of her in the name of Jesus come out of her just like that and so all of these men I guess they were ushers trying to hold her and and they couldn't hold this woman couldn't hold her at all to finally they got a bunch of people just jumped on her and dragged her out to the front part of the church where the foyer and everything was and they stood around her and I'm still yelling with them Come out of her in the name of Jesus. And when it's finally done, then at that point, uh, I found out that this lady, she did give her heart to the Lord, but this lady was a witch. And she'd walk outside the church during church services and curse everybody going in the church and curse the building. And those folks were terrified of her. Well, I didn't know who she was. I just knew instantly as a reaction, I knew it was the devil. You see? Yeah, I knew it was the devil. First service we had down in Hayes, Kansas. Some of you uh, were, were, were down there for that. I was coming up the aisle three or four minutes before service was supposed to start. Come up that center aisle. And when I got near the front, then a lady fell out having a seizure right there by the front. So we had some Ladies there, there were nurses, EMTs and all that. They're around her trying to put something in her mouth so she don't swallow her tongue. Well, I've got a couple of people from leadership with me down there. I'm standing over here looking at, at this woman when I kind of locked eyes with her. Her eyes are up in her head. She's got a little silly grin on her face as she looked at me. And her eyes came down, looked at me and went back up. I knew this was the devil. I, I said to everybody in there that night, I said, I want... Everybody to shout Jesus. And I said, I'm going to say in the name of I can't remember if I said I'm going to count the three. But whatever. When I got to the point, I said, Jesus, everybody shouted Jesus. And I said, come out of her right now in the name of and everybody shouted Jesus. I said, come out of her. Well, by then, the ambulance had come. Well, sometime later, months later, this lady ended up coming back to church. And she introduced herself to me when she came in. She said, Pastor, good to see you again. Oh, so good to see you. Glad, glad you're back. She said, you don't remember me. I said, no, I don't know, know, that, know that I know who you are. She said, I'm the, I'm the one on the first night that, that fell out up there and the ambulance carried me away. I said, oh, really? She said, I thought maybe I ought to give you the testimony. She said, I was involved with all kinds of bad stuff, substance abuse and everything. And she said, I ended up in jail. And she said, I can remember the moment in that jail cell when the devil entered into me. She said, I remember the moment when it happened. And she said, in that service, when I fell out on that floor, and all I remember from that is people shouting, and I saw you, and you had them people shouting, Jesus. And you were shouting, come out. She said, when they put me in the ambulance and was driving away, I felt that spirit leave me. And she said, I've been free ever since then. Well, there are a whole lot of people don't know anything about that. And they certainly don't even believe that kind of stuff goes on today. But, but my wife can tell you 
some stories about her, her travels and trips in Africa. I, I don't even know if I get all the details right, but, but she was over there with, with them singers there one time, and I think they were tearing down, getting ready to leave, and I don't even think Tiff was feeling good that day, and somebody comes along and, and asks her, was it as her or somebody in the band, do you believe the devil or is the devil real? Something like that. There we go. Each of those dreams, she had married the devil. And, and so in the in the middle of all of that. Tiffany, didn't you have to witness to one of them? And then they went out and got some more people and then brought them back. Tiffany witnessed to all of them. Then they went out, brought another group of people back, witnessed to them. And then pretty soon all the ORU band people are getting involved. And now we've got people falling out and shaking and trembling and full of the devil. And when this whole thing is finally done, I think there was someone in the school. Wasn't it? Did they make a pact with the devil or something like that? They were going to sacrifice one of the students. Satanism had taken over the school. They were going to sacrifice a student and the the principal didn't know what to do. But here were some people full of the Holy Ghost that brought deliverance and revival to the place. Yeah, All, all over this earth, folks, I'm telling the scripture makes it very plain. We're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God. Now, notice verse 12. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, wrestling, that's close combat. You know, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, but you have to realize he did let the devil slime and slither his way into the garden. He didn't build the garden and put a fence around it. The devil came right in there. And the devil put his thoughts into their minds because they embraced what he was saying. And through his thoughts, he misguided their behavior. That's exactly what we do. We accept his reasoning. We accept his logic. We believe his unbelief. And then before you know it, we're moving into territory we shouldn't be moving into or we're moving away from the blessings and the promises of God. And you've got to understand, you've got to bring every thought captive so that in the midst of your garden, God can preserve your life. He can preserve your testimony. He can preserve your witness and you can retain the power that you're supposed to have. The scripture says it's not flesh and blood. Your problem is not a human. It's the devil looking for people he can manipulate. He'll use anybody. Doesn't matter whether or not you have a covenant with the Lord or or you're Christian. Even Peter said, Lord, I mean, everybody else around here, here, these other disciples, they're not trustworthy as me. They all backslide, but I'm going to be there. And the Lord said, Oh, no, Peter. He said, you, you, you're going you're gonna to backslide every time you hear cock crow. You, you're going to be falling, falling backwards. And Peter said, oh, no, not, not me. I, I'm not like that. He said, in fact, Jesus, all this talk about you leaving, you can't leave us. We need you. And the Lord looked at his disciple, who he gave power to to cast out devils, and said to him, Satan, get behind me. Even a Christian sometimes can allow the thoughts of the adversary to get in them. And if you're not careful, I didn't say possess them. I said get in that head and lead you to say foolish things and to do foolish things. It, it, it definitely happens. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, everybody assumes he was a believer. Might as well assume he was a believer. Scripture said he believed the gospel and was baptized. I think Peter and them had enough sense to know whether or not somebody was coming to know the Lord. But yet this man had all that witchcraft and stuff still inside of his head. He hadn't been totally renewed in his mind within a 72 hour period. And he saw people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, how much money can I give you to have that kind of power? And Peter said, your money perish with you. You're in the bond of bitterness, the gall of bitterness. If you think you can purchase the power of God. So as a Christian, the devil is looking to get into your head and into my head. But the Bible says our head is is to be a place where we bring every thought captive and cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the Bible teaches. 
In verse 12, it says principalities and powers. Interesting to me here that we have this, this language. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. When, when we think of the, the ad- adversary and his strategies, <clears throat> it's not incorrect to think of an army with him having different people, different demons in charge. That's not incorrect. Because the Bible does say when Jesus had, you know, cast the devil out somebody, he said when the unclean spirit goes out of somebody, he's kind of wandering around looking for a place to live. And if he turns around and comes back and finds that 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 place is clean and swept, he says he comes back and he brings seven more spirits more wicked than himself. So that tells you there are degrees of wickedness amongst the devils. So, so some devils certainly a lot more unclean in substance abuse problems than they would be in just some physical infirmity. Yeah. Some sins are deeper and much more depraved because of the manifestation of the personality of that spirit in a person's life. I give it to you this way, that you have a totally different feeling walking through Main Street, Hebron or Deschler or Western, you have a totally different feeling walking down Main Street there than you would if you were walking down Main Street in Las Vegas. Totally different feeling because the environment and the atmosphere is controlled by different spirits. You see, now we, we, we also understand this then. Here's what you want to be careful of, because if you if you're not careful, you get superstitious. And there, there are some people that they've got this thing where, I mean, they've got it sectioned off on, in the United States and around the world. And, and they'll, they'll have you thinking, OK, when you get to Webster County, they got these kind of spirits in manifestation. So you got a devil over here, a prince up here in the air, and they're controlling all of this. And before you know it, you're everywhere you drive in Nebraska, you're just trying to figure out what devil is in charge of this region. And when I lived in in Turkey, I, I found that there were. People who came from America, a lot of them, hundreds of them, came to Ephesus while I was there. And they were all walking around the ruins and they were supposedly casting down whatever prince they thought was over that area. I mean, they shouted, they sung, they screamed. And then when they finished, they walked right back out of the ruins. And everywhere you look, you saw little Muslim children that were poor, naked, crippled people. But yet they were shouting, they pulled down the prince. Here's my point. You don't have to worry about any of all of that. Doesn't matter what the devil's strategies are and how he has put his his uh, platoons and all of that stuff and, and, and established them all around the world. What you need to know is you've got to put on the whole armor. And wherever you go, you manifest the armor of light because the power of God is upon you. God hadn't called us to be superstitious. He hadn't called us to be worried about whether or not there are brazen heavens over this particular region. Wherever the gospel is preached, there's power. Anybody can be saved. At any time, a a healing can take place. At any time, God can pour out his Holy Ghost. Wherever faith is manifested, something miraculous can occur. But if you allow yourself to be pushed in a corner and you're so devil conscious... You'll never have faith in God like you should. And the thing that really will put this over the top for you is to look in Ephesians chapter one and notice where Paul is speaking of Jesus. And he says in verse 20, talking about how God was raised, raising Jesus, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above those two words. Say them with me far above all principality and power and might and dominion far above. And then Ephesians two, notice what it says about us in verse five. Even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Where are we? Far above. Far above. If you've ever been in an airplane, you know the higher you go, smaller. Everything looks down here. Yeah. 
and, and, and if you grow in grace and in knowledge and you rise above all the stuff taking place here on planet Earth, I can promise you the devil's not going to get bigger in your theology. He'll get smaller because he's defeated. And God's victorious. And the victorious one is inside of you. I hear so many people, they pray like the devil is equal to God. And they pray sometimes like the devil is bigger than God. As if we've got to do everything we can, muster whatever strength we can just to try to overcome this defeated foe. Yeah, He's already overcome. He's trying to wrestle us away from the victory we have in Christ. We just stand on the word and trust the king. Yeah, that's where it begins. And that's where it ought to end with us. So uh, in, in concluding the study tonight, I want you to know it, it really doesn't matter what kind of rulers of darkness are out there. We have armor of light that we wear. Armors of light. Yeah. And, and when it says spiritual wickedness in high places, doesn't matter how powerful the, the person, how influential the person, if the adversary is using them, we have the right, the authority and the power to resist them, resist the devil. Yeah. If, at your job, you ought to walk around that office. If you get there before everybody else, just walk around that office and say, I've got a covenant with God. This office is now under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan, you have no rights and privileges here. Yeah. Stand against them. Yeah, Because of your covenant, you see, it's your covenant. You're a child of Abraham. God told Abraham, wherever you plant, plant your feet, I've given you that ground. So as a Christian, you have a right to expect God to bless not only you, but even the sinners under you. Look at Joseph. He had a covenant with God through Abraham, and he was the prime minister over a heathen nation, and they all experienced blessing because of the covenant he had with God. I can't make anybody live like a Christian. Neither can you. But you can sure enough keep unsaved people from hindering the blessing of God from manifesting in your life. You can stand on the word and, and, and trust the king. And when you do that, you can believe that God's going to bring abundance and blessing. God's, God's plan for you has never been for the devil to control you or to have you in fear. But God's plan for you and for me has always been for us to be seated in heavenly places. Yeah. And to enjoy what he's provided. Let's pray. Father, I hope and pray that as we went through the word tonight, that you opened our eyes to behold things in a way that maybe we've never seen them before. And I do pray, Lord, that each one of us would live as the conquerors you've called us to be. You've trained us through your word to trust you no matter what, to exhibit more faith in you than in the devil. He's not equal to you. He's not even close to being as powerful as you are. So open our eyes to understand the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. Preserve us from unforgiveness, which is one of his tools. Preserve our hearts from roots of bitterness, which is one of his tools. And God, we are going to be careful to love you and praise you forever in Jesus name. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God.